Hey everyone, Rob here. First of all, I just want to thank you for listening and supporting Diabetics Doing Things. We are going on eight years of recording this podcast and approaching 350 episodes on this feed extremely quickly. So your support means everything. We would not be here without you. Just wanted to call your attention to a few things that we're working on lately that are updates to Diabetics Doing Things. The first is we are throwing events. And you can find more about our events at diabeticsdoingthings.com slash events. We launched our first event in April of 2023. It was a coffee house roastery tour and latte art class. And we have two very exciting events coming up in the fall of 2023, including our first ever, so our inaugural National Diabetes Awareness Month event. And those are going to be on diabeticsdoingthings.com slash events this month. So be sure to check those out. Also, if you have a question that you want Eritrea and I to answer on air, please email the mailbag at diabeticsdoingthings.com. So that's mailbag at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Your question will be answered on air during a special episode of the Rob and Eritrea show. So if you want to ask us a burning question and you want us to spend some time on it, please reach out to mailbag at diabeticsdoingthings.com. All right, let's get to the episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of people living with diabetes all over the world. And today we're going to the big city to meet our, our very special guest, Mr. Nick Callis on Instagram. It's Nick Callis himself. Welcome to the show. What's up? <laughs> well, I love it, man. Thank you for taking the time today. And we were kind of just chatting off here. Man, a love love seeing your comedy, love seeing your bits online. It's just it's just fun to meet people with diabetes doing creative outputs and making people laugh. And very excited to kind of dig into your story and kind of talk about your life with diabetes. So why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and we'll kind of start where we start normally, which is like, when did you join this type one diabetes sort of multi conglomerate, the family? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for such a lovely intro. My name is Nick Callis. I am a stand-up comedian. I'm now I'm 30 years old, and I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was six years old, growing up in Bergen County, New Jersey. Yeah. Shout out. Big shout out, Bergen County. So what do you remember? I mean, like six years old, you probably don't remember life as much before diabetes. Like, what do you remember about like adjusting to that, like diagnosis and, you know, anything with family or, you know, what, what stands out to you from like the early days? Yeah, I have a few pretty core memories about pre and post diagnosis. Generally, and I think, and, and not to get too deep off top, but I think like generally as a kid, I was extremely quiet scared actually and and very insecure and a li and i would say i i just didn't have a good sense of anything and felt uneasy you know i just didn't i didn't know the rules to games and stuff i think like most kids yes. don't sports and stuff like that so i was very intimidated by a lot of things and i also had tremendous separation anxiety from my mom and i think at the around that time my parents had gotten divorced too. So I had all these different factors that made me feel like quite isolated. And then here comes diabetes, which actually exacerbated just about all of those things. Cause now I had 
I had a medical reason that I needed to be by my mom's side because it was, of course, a number of years before I could um, really handle myself uh, as a diabetic. And so, yeah, so there was there was this this diagnosis that I remember going to the doctor's office and for what well, must have been a few weeks prior, I was just just chugging water for or go to bed and then peeing in the same, you know, in the same 10 seconds, I just drink water and pee and drink water and pee and, and, and couldn't go to bed. And I remember this distinct moment where my older brother is five years older. We're standing in my parents' bedroom and he goes, you're going to have to keep peeing if you keep drinking water. And I was like, I know, but it's, if I feel like I need to, and I said that to him, I was like, I feel like I need to. And, you know, I just had some, outrageously high blood sugar at the time and you know my mom was like all right something's up with this kid and at this point we had no diabetes in the family we've actually been a few people since who have you know developed it and i think we learned through me that a, a number of people in my family especially on my dad's side had had an antibody like predisposition for it but so go to the doctor what seems like a normal checkup uh, leads to me like a, a number of hours later waking up in the hospital. I guess I'd fallen asleep at some point. And then all of a sudden, there are just all these Dragon Ball Z toys surrounding me and balloons and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best day ever. But why am I in the hospital? And so my mom and a doctor came and sat down with me and like explained what was going on. And I had no idea. I don't think I'd ever even heard of diabetes before. And my family was there and they kind of explained to me that this, this was going to be like this big journey. And this was, this was a big deal, but it didn't connect with me. It didn't connect with me at all. I just was like excited that people were around and paying attention to me. And also, you know, I couldn't conceptualize like the change that was going to happen in my life. And once I started to over the next couple of days, I started to realize, oh, I have to take uh, insulin shots and I have to check my blood sugar. And I think as a kid too, there's a big, there's a big obsession about needles, like needles in 19, this must've been 1998. Like needles are going to be such a big part of your life now as a six-year-old. And I remember making a choice to like, never let him see a sweat. Cause as a kid, I was so, I felt so ostracized and so bizarre already that having like a real reason now to be in need of help or attention for anything other than like, you know, being cool felt terrible. So I remember mm. making a choice that like, no matter how much this sucks, don't let them know you feel that way. Especially because my older brother and my father were such tough guys. And one of the first things anybody had said to me sitting in the hospital was, you're a trooper. I remember somebody saying, you're a trooper. And, I, and it felt good to hear that. And so I just never let go. And most certainly I did laps at times and probably like complain about having to, you know, take an insulin injection or not get to eat cake at something. But for the most part, that was like kind of my mantra. It was just like, deal with this. And I think that that was a huge part of like developing a, a sense of maturity and a sense of self. and and growth and like uh, being able to cope with things. Cause like, God knows there've been much 
more challenging things in my life since then than to have diabetes but it did give give me a sort of like bedrock foundation to to like process everything through after that it's such an interesting perspective because to be six years old and like really digging into oh i want to be a trooper i want to be a tough guy i want to be able to handle this and and not let people see me sweat or not be sort of othered we were talking about that before we started recording too that when you're young it's you just don't want anyone to see something different about you because they'll point it out and you're not comfortable with who you are yet and you're because you're young and you're still growing I kind of felt the same way. I was just like, I, I, I've come to accept it more as I get older and I think like the passage of time, like certainly opens us up as we get older and like more mature and really, you know, recognize why we do some of the things that we do. But to me, like some of it is survival too, because you're early on, you're just trying to, you know, get through it and say, Hey, like I can do, I can do this. I can, I can still be myself even with this diabetes. And I think for me too, like. I was older and like 16, but like even the pressure to fit in at those ages, especially early on, is so great that you're afraid to acknowledge these little details or the, these things that make you not fit in. And did you feel that like ever, like as you kind of yeah, like, con- con- older? Constantly. And I think I'm very lucky actually in that some of the things that have been like challenges for me are things that elicit a level of self-awareness and discipline that I think most people just won't encounter. And by that, I mean, I, I do stand-up comedy. The most important element for me about comedy, developing it offstage and then also deal, performing and dealing with it in the moment is self-awareness. You need to be extremely aware of yourself and aware of, your surroundings obviously in a show in order to to do the job and to perform and to make people laugh and then also diabetes is is a very physical quite literal version of self-awareness and then also humility with both of those things like you have to be humble and you have to know that okay you know in in a literal sense of diabetes i can't eat this right now or if I want to eat this later, I have to do this, that, and the third. And with stand-up, the, the same thing is true, is that you have to, you have to, you have to be aware of yourself and you have to, your obligation has to be to other people's good time. And so you have to be very aware of how you're behaving and how you're coming across. And so I have all these things in my life that are sort of like metrics of my, my sense about myself. And so it's like a blessing and a curse, right? Because it sucks to have to think about what you're doing and how you're coming across all the time, but also it keeps you in line and it forces you to be more aligned with like your, your asonic identity, right? Like you're who you're trying to be in the world. So, so there's that, but that, you know, that took a long time to develop in the early stages of like being a diabetic kid. It's mostly just insecurity and feeling vulnerable. And even to this day, I, I've noticed, I'm sure you guys have had this experience where like you're watching TV or something and a commercial for diabetes will come on and maybe no one looks at you, but there's this feeling that people are looking at you now or that you're being talked about or if diabetes ever came up in health class, like all of a sudden you feel looked at, maybe you are like, 
because it's weird. And there's like may there's always maybe a couple diabetic kids in school. So it is this like lantern that's hanging on you. And even to this day, it's this bizarre trigger where if I hear the word diabetes out on the street or on TV I'm passing or something, my ear will involuntarily just perk up. It actually happens to me. And it's it's again, it's like I'm sure other people have them for other reasons. Maybe if you're not very tall or you're very tall, you hear somebody talk about height or something and then it you know just kind of grabs your attention. There's all these like weird little things. So it's kind of like when you're when you're in a crowd of people and you hear someone say your name, like you just hear it so much more clearly. And for me and diabetes too, I don't know if you've ever worn an insulin pump in your life with diabetes. We can talk about devices and stuff later, but the the OG Medtronic pump had this like beep cadence that was really specific. And now whenever I'm in a room, if I hear it, I can hear it across the airport. It's just like, because it's just so dialed into like my brain to hear it, even though my pump doesn't make that same noise anymore. So it's so weird, like those different, like kind of uh, ingrained in your brain, like become part of you to listen and take note of those like various, you know, whether it's diabetes or it's your name or, you know, a device beep. Yeah, it's just, it's all it's different reasons to make you aware of yourself in a way that makes you feel insecure. And like we said, growing up as a kid, you have a million of those already. And, you know, if you're embarrassed about something as a kid, you can hide, you can hide it or lie. That's a lot of being a kid is going, I didn't do that or I didn't say that or I don't have a crush on her. Um, but diabetes, everybody knows you have it. And it is this thing where it makes you feel, I don't, I don't want to project anybody else's experience. But like as a kid, I felt broken in some ways. I was like, I can't physically, I'm not the same as these other kids on a, on a biological level, right? And so I felt weakened by that. And especially playing sports, if I had to sit out at gym class or something like that, I did feel, I my, my experience was that I felt handicapped. And then when that combines with like your social identity, it can be, it can be awful. I mean, also kids are vicious and they don't know and they don't know and they don't know how they're, how they're, I mean, to this day, I'm a comedian. I go on stage and sometimes I say something that later on, I'm like, ah, that might've been not funny in the way that I thought it was going to be, or it was hurtful. It happens to me all the time, but kids are even worse with that. And there was a kid who came up to me one day and she'd said, she'd said, Hey, don't you have AIDS? And shout out to the AIDS community. There's nothing wrong with having AIDS either. It doesn't change who you are. But as a kid, there's plenty of stigma around that. And we're in fourth grade, mind you. So it was just like, I, I, because here's the thing, here's the brilliance of this comment is that I didn't have AIDS. And so I had to correct her with my real disease. So it's also embarrassing in that way. Because right? I couldn't be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But it did. As a kid, it's embarrassing. But as an adult, we call that a read. Anyway, no, I love. Yeah. I So first of all, I don't think you're projecting when you say you felt broken. In our last episode, we literally did an episode that came out today of the Robin Air Trey show where I was talking to my dad and I was like, I feel broken. Like, I feel like you guys don't want me anymore because I'm not that perfect kid. So I think a lot of us do go through that sentiment of just like, what what's wrong with me? And then just to like double down on these 
elementary school trauma stories. I remember going to lunch because like I'd have to leave early to go test for lunch. And the first time I had to do it, this one kid raised his hand, his hand and he was like, Miss, what's wrong with her? Like, what is she? Is there something? You know what I mean? So it's just like kids are mean. That's just how it runs. And if you're a kid and you're listening to this, first of all, I'm sorry, but also it's going to get better. But that does prompt the question that I wanted to ask you. So I want to go further back. When you first got diagnosed, you said that you had like already a form of separation anxiety from your mom. And a lot of the people who listen to our podcast are parents of kids with diabetes. Did your diagnosis impact that relationship further with your mom? Like, did it make it hard for her or was it just hard for you? Yeah, it made it so hard for her because, you know, my mom was pretty young when she got married and pretty young when she started having kids. She's not, she's not a nurse, but she'll be the first person to tell you now that she's had a crash course in everything and everything and now is a nurse and a, and a, a doctor and a pilot and an astronaut and all these things. That's like, that's what being a mom is, right? You just suddenly got to be all these things. But yeah, I mean, my mom, my mom could be an endo. And, and that's the thing. And I've said this to people before is that the thing about having diabetes that is unlike a lot of other things that you could have is that you have to be an endo if you're if you're diabetic and you manage your diabetes well if you're just baseline healthy it means you're capable of all the things that an endo is capable of and you know all those things because that's how much you have to be on top of it it isn't like it isn't you know i don't want to make uh, comparisons and put myself out of school here but like in general a lot of a lot of ailments that might even be life-threatening are things that only a doctor can do for you, be it with medication or devices or just, you know, frequent checkups. But diabetes, you walk around with it all all day. Uh, every time you you eat, every time you're active, you have to be able to like treat yourself. And so you have to know what you're doing. It's not like something that you can be diagnosed with that you'll just go, okay, I'll deal with it today. And then I have an appointment in six months. Like you're really with you all the time. So again, that's the kind of thing that I hated as a child because it was one mortifying and two preoccupying in a physical health sense. I had an aide that would sit in the back of the class for at least a few years when I was in middle school. It, she was like a ghost or a shadow that just sat in the back of the class. A lovely woman, but it didn't make a difference. She sat in the back of the class and she would just check my blood sugar every couple of hours and before lunch. And by the way, the, it's not like she, I could only see her. You know what I mean? It, the whole class has this lady there. <laughs> they they had to ask, like, what, what is she doing here? It's like, Nick oh, Handler. Yeah, it's Nick Handler. Yeah. It was like an awful version of being like a rich kid or something. I just had this like Alfred behind me. In retrospect, though, would you kill? I would kill to have a lady in the back of my life just walking around asking me about my blood sugars. Oh, my God. Now I'm just trying to make it in comedy to the point where I can hire somebody to do that. But at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like you didn't know you didn't know how good you had it at the time. It's like and it was embarrassing. Now I kill for a lady to follow me around. and Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, she doesn't even have to do anything for my diabetes. If a lady would follow me around in my life, it'd be a very good thing. Yeah, just have her around. Just good, good to bounce ideas off of. I'm going to make sure I'm not doing her. I'm living right. Hey, can we get a calibration here on on decision making? Great stuff. You've got one of those, Rob. But anyways, 
I mean, I have a wife. So she's not my employee. I, I don't claim her as a dependent. You know, I think it is interesting though. And, and I want to kind of talk about, because you've mentioned kind of Alfred, you mentioned like discipline and like the burden of kind of like living with diabetes, like chronically where, and it just reminded me like any day, it could be today, for example, Eritrea and I, before you came on, uh, we're just talking about like last night she had an urgent low uh, and I forgot to, uh, I got, I got out of the shower and I forgot to turn my basal insulin back on, on my pump. So I woke up at 3am with my blood sugar in the 300. So like, just in average everyday life, like day to day, you have like a life-threatening experience near, sometimes like near death. And you just like eat some candy and stand up and we're like, okay, well, we're good now. Time to just get back to what we were doing before. Yeah. I'm going to plug my charger in while I answer this question. Just because I don't want it to die on us. Yeah. In, in there. The running to get the charger, like you're, man, I'm the queen of my stomach, my, the queen of my pump and my phone not being charged is me. Where is my crown? I mean, it's, it's a con, it's a constant thing for me. And again, I'm like blessed and cursed with, with a vocation and a career that forces me to have to be more on top of it than Frankly, I care to be because I can't. None of us want to fucking. Can we curse? Sorry. No, none of yeah, us want yeah, to yeah, yeah. do anything. I can't even think when my blood sugar is high. If my blood sugar is 300. Bury me at the beach. I don't even want to be around. It's the worst. I can't. And, and when you're low, the only thing you can even think to do is to just fill yourself with food. And so part part of that is like making that as convenient for yourself as possible trying to like live within the bounds of like when you might be high or low but because i perform at night every night i have to at least be like golden from five o'clock till whenever i go to sleep because if my blood sugar is high or low at all near when i'm going to perform i just can't do it as, as, maybe some comedians could, but the nature of my standup is extremely emotional. It's very physical. It's too taxing to not be at a 140 blood sugar. I, I can't do it otherwise. And and then there's a huge emotional toll. I don't know if you guys experience this, but I'll often guilt if my blood sugar is not good. I feel really crappy about myself for not taking Dude, care I, of I. I have to remind myself regularly during low blood sugars that it's just the low blood sugar talking like that emotional swing is like part of the clinical response. You know, it's like your body is just, Hey, like we're not good. And by the way, if you didn't feel bad enough, like here's some really bad feelings to just tide you over. Here are all these thoughts about how it's your fault. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what is it, Rob? You said, love yourself through the low. Isn't that something you got? You do, but you just also have to remember that like, it's, it's just a low blood sugar. It's like, am I worthy of life? And it's like, oh, yes, absolutely. Like, yeah. it's just a low blood sugar telling me that I'm a piece of shit. Like, so, or that, you know, hey, I got, and I talk to people a lot about exercise and, you know, people without diabetes have a lot of excuses to not exercise. And like, it's really easy to guilt yourself. You get to the gym, you you got your outfit on, you're like, you're doing your sets and all of a sudden your blood sugar tank. It's really easy to beat yourself up for that. 
but you just gotta like, hey, remember like, all right, this is just the diabetes. Like I live with diabetes and negative feelings and like emotional swings are part of high and low blood sugars. That's why we feel better when our blood sugars are in range. That's why you don't feel comfortable, you know, performing when your blood sugar is out of range. It's why I could look at every basketball game I've ever played and I could tell you whether my blood sugar was in range or not based on totally. the games that I played good. I was great, totally. and, I, but the, the ones not, I was out of range. And I'm sure all of us have too much pride to ever, maybe, maybe with the exception of like a, a brother or a sister or a parent or something. If I had a, a bad set, if I didn't like a performance of mine, um, Batman himself could not get out of me that, well, my blood sugar wasn't good. I, I would never, I could never cop to that. Uh, I would internally, I, I would go, dude, you got to take care of yourself because of this, that, and the third. But I would never share that with someone because it's, and this goes back to the childhood diagnosis thing is like, I don't want to be anybody else's obligation, anybody else's problem. I don't want to be seen that way. And well, there is like a sort of middle ground where you have to be real with yourself for your own health and safety and, and people should be aware of what's going on with you. It is actually a character fortification to to take all that on the chin and go like, this is my burden and this is my problem because it it really does make you better. And One of the things I kind of want to like transition this conversation into is like a bit of unsolicited advice because some of the things that diabetes has really helped me with is confidence and physical health. Because all the things that we're talking about now have forced me to be more aware of what I eat and how I eat and how I feel. And by that, I mean that, you know, we, we all can read a, a nutrition label just secondhand and we can all eyeball things and have a, a pretty accurate guess of the the carbs and whether or not it's a solid protein source and what type of carbs is that going to hold me over or is that going to spike me and then i'll crash what is that going to do to me that helped me really learn how to count calories and macronutrients really quickly like it was a second language to me and then that combined with like weight training and stuff that i started doing has like put me in the best shape of my life and i'm much healthier dare I say, than my two non-diabetic brothers, because I have this, I have this like other language that I speak that is, you know, nutrition. I, I think that's something that's really interesting because you're not the first person who has said that on the podcast. In fact, there's a, a guy who like literally wrote the book on diabetic bodybuilding and, and building muscle with diabetes. He came on the podcast, you know, five or six years ago and was like, you know, before I got diabetes that, you know, I think he was 17 or 18 when he was diagnosed, like he, he's like, I didn't have good nutrition habits. I didn't, I didn't care about athletics or, or lifting weights. And because of diabetes, I was given this kind of insight into what's happening inside my body. And I think for you, like when you're talking about like being physically fit and like seeing the results of that in your diabetes. Like it just feeds that sort of like dopamine in your brain that you're like doing something good for yourself. And it's like, and now not yeah, only awesome. do I know like, hey, I, I look and feel good, but I also can look at my diabetes and like directly connect that to like good choices that I'm making. I think that compounds, like it really is like, and, and you know, I think everybody has their own like time when they're able to like connect those things and it is difficult, but like life with diabetes is difficult and it is long. And 
I'm a huge believer in just like incremental progress. You talk a lot about discipline and other in other interviews that I was reading preparing for this interview. And, you know, I could tell it's like, hey, I, I can tell what kind of person with diabetes you are. Like you're very much like like be like Eritrea, like where you say, like, all right, if I can just eliminate some variables and put myself in a position to succeed, like what I want for myself is on the other side of that. And so I, I would love to know too, like, you know, you do stand up every day. That is, I think many people who don't know about what it takes to be successful in comedy, like don't realize that like literally every day you're, you're getting up on stage at somewhere at an open mic or, you know, on a, on a performance, you're going on a tour, you're not being, you know, privately, you're not flying private. You don't have a, a woman following you around with all of your stuff behind. Like, you know, it's a group of people who are like really hustling, going from place to place. And, you know, with travel, with stress, with like staying up late, not sleeping well, like sometimes like not in situations where you can always eat very well. Like, how do you find like the choices to make or how do you set yourself up for success when you're in that kind of schedule? Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you. So for me, it's a confluence of a couple factors that makes it easy and replicable because that's like the number one thing, right? This has to be a thing that is easy for me to do that I can do all the time. And the only way those things will happen is if I enjoy doing them. So like, what are, what are the foods that I like to eat that are easy to eat and good for me? It's got to fulfill that criteria. And for me, I love peanut butter. I'm obsessed with peanut butter. I literally eat it every single day. And it's, a, it's very dense in calories. It's very macronutrient dense. It's a great source of fat. It's a good source of protein. And it's a moderate source of carbs, right? So I travel with peanut butter. I travel with apples and bananas usually. And then less often recently, just because my control is tighter, I'll travel with apple juice or orange juice, something that's it's kind of, it's kind of my like parachute. It's kind of my emergency food. And then I'll have like a, maybe a protein bar or something in my bag, you know, just in case something that's like a little bit more dense. But eating, eating healthy, eating sort of near keto, not, not completely keto. It's kind of impossible for, for diabetics, in my opinion, to, to last very long on a keto diet. I also don't think it's a great way to feel energetic, but, you know, I digress. If I if I'm really in tight control and I'm focused on eating meals with a great protein source, then I then I can travel around to you know different states to perform and and know that my meals can be assembled pretty quickly just at a 7-Eleven if I need. I'll go, I'll grab some hard-boiled eggs, I'll grab some cold cuts, maybe some cheese, maybe a loaf of bread and peanut butter. And because I'm eating these like pretty standard like kind of lunch table meals that I can construct myself very quickly. It behooves my my like exercise diet and also my diabetes. And those things have become very linked for me. Well, and I think like the, well, first of all, I think that your framework is really accessible. Like, you know, right. things that you enjoy, things that are good for you and like things that are good for your diabetes. Like I think, and like things that you can repeat, like we are what we repeatedly do. Like you got to set yourself up for success and kind of eliminate those decisions. 
And then like for you, like when you, when you've dialed that in, you mentioned that your control now is like tighter. Like how did you kind of like, did you self-motivate yourself to do that? Did you have this sort of like moment where you're like, if I want to have, you know, if I want to be successful in, in, you know, comedy or theater or just these creative outputs that you're pursuing and be successful with your diabetes, like this is what I need to do. Like, how did that, how did that happen for you? Yeah, completely. I'm a big proponent of placing the thing that you want most right behind all the things you don't want to do that you should do. For me, I don't want to take care of my diabetes. I want to eat Cheetos puffs and drink Dr. Pepper till I die. That's what I want to do. <laughs> More than I want to do that, I want to be the best stand-up comic that I can be. And if I go to perform every night, if I have a less than ideal blood sugar at seven o'clock, when I'm on stage at eight o'clock, I can't do the job. And so, you know, everything else falls in line beneath that. Okay. I know that I can't really eat before th this soon before the show. And so I have to eat around this time. And for me to be in a sort of stasis place before the show, I've got to eat this way and I've got to make sure I take insulin this long before the meal. And everything just kind of falls in place because there's this other thing that I want more than any negative consequence of like not taking care of myself. And then again, like because I do stand up every day, everything compounds over time. And then a lifestyle is built out of this one choice that I don't have to make now forever just have to make it every single day and if there's a motivator that's big enough to to get me to kind of automatically make that decision every day then you know the whole the whole year my whole life is spoken for because there's just this eye on the prize i love that i think a thing that i a question i ask myself whether it's in you know creative projects or whether it's fitness or whether it's personal life is like what am i optimizing for and it's like for you you're optimizing to be the best stand-up that you can be and everything else kind of falls into place as long as you're keeping that front and center. Uh, I think this is a good time to transition to talk a little bit about your standup and like your career. You're, I would just say like multi-talented, you're an actor, you are a standup, you're a rapper. Uh, all of these things like are wrapped in this kind of like very vulnerable, very, you know, accessible and friendly package, which we're experiencing and like kind of deep uh, in a way, like in this interview, but like you're a funny guy. And I think as you know, somebody sends me your Instagram, it's like, okay, cool. Well, let's watch through these clips. Your set is energetic. You're, you know, big energy, lots of, lots of physical comedy. Like where, where does that, like, where, where's your inspiration come from? Like, what are you like, how, how would you pitch yourself? Like somebody wants to know what your act is about. Sure. Thanks so much. So let's see. I have always my whole life as a kid have always really responded to big bombastic performances music animation and i think it's because i feel a lot i think we all do i think we all feel a lot of stuff and i think for me big visuals big music big emotions big performances are a way, a way to reflect that that's going on inside 
in in a way that makes it okay to be to be feeling things like that, whether it's excitement or anger. Uh, I I was always so drawn to Jim Carrey as a kid because I would see him behave and it it just felt appropriate to me. It felt like what I was experiencing. And here was this way that he it was, you know, creating these caricatures of moments, be it like excitement or anger or sadness that was just such a pure distillation of like things I was experiencing. And so I've always been drawn to to that. I like I like extremes in my art. I like I like fast rap and I like I like very physical comedy. I, I, and part of that is because I I like to know that there's work being done. I like to know that there is an intrinsic challenge or difficulty inherent to the thing that I'm watching. One liner stand up is great. It's not my cup of tea because I think a lot of the work takes place off stage. And I, when I'm an audience member to something, I, I want to I see it being done at a really difficult level. So that, that's the type of stuff that I try to keep in mind when I'm creating my own things. I, I want to make people feel like what they're paying to see is worth every dollar. So I, I always try to put as much of the work into the experience yeah i love that i think too like you talked about self-awareness earlier like things that you're experiencing outside like bringing those into the stage like feeling the room out and like you can see that like in in your performance it's 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 fun to watch it's like it's like you really do like want to know like what it's like to be in the room because like that really is like a moment you're not going to experience again right I'd love to talk about, because I think people will have questions about this and they'll, nobody ever like a- angrily messaged me for missing, for missing questions, but they want to, I'm sure they want to know like how your career as a comedian, like works with your diabetes. And like, we, we talk a lot about access on this podcast. We've talked to a lot of different creatives who don't sort of fit the typical nine to five, you know, corporate America benefits package type career. And of course, with diabetes, like it's always a challenge. They're like, okay, well, how I got to make sure I can afford my medication and my supplies. So like, what kind of diabetes tech do you wear, if any? And, you know, how how does that, how does your diabetes kind of manifest itself in your creative career? So I'm, I'm on the Dexcom. This is a G6. I'm 179 right now, guys. So we're okay, but. I took a couple of units in. So should we all do? Let's do it. Okay. So yeah, Nick, I'm Nick, 185 right now. I was 179. You're 185. Yeah, we're right, right dialed in. I'm 219. I don't want to talk about this. My head's been we're like all within like 30, like 35 units of yeah. Each we're all honestly that's that's five o'clock ish. <laughs> We've all probably eaten once. There's yeah a lot of insulin left in the tank. Yeah, I have two units on board. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one point two on board over here. Yeah, we're we're going we're doing it. We're going through it, guys. We're having the five o'clock the the five o'clock rundown. So just okay, the G six is yeah, yeah, like just what? So your devices are G six. Are you multiple daily injections or are you? On yes, I am or? multiple daily injections. I'm strongly considering jumping on a pump. I I think I needed it to catch up to where I was at because I, I hate having stuff on my body. 
I don't even, I, I, and again, I think this is also part of the, you know, when you're a kid, you got to carry a bag with your meter and with snacks in it and stuff. And I just hated feeling like a little pack mule as a kid and then playing sports. And then I started performing by the time I was 16 or 17. And I hated having a thing on me, having to explain it and even just the physical thing on me. I always hated but this stuff has gotten so much smaller and so much easier now that I, I was actually just talking to uh, someone in Philadelphia that I bumped into um, with a pump on it. It was so small and and just kind of easy that I was like, all right, I think it's time. I've spoken to my endo about it, so I'll probably get on a, a pump. Don't feel too bad. It's also a big apple thing. A lot of you big applers do not enjoy the idea. Yeah, so I have a few friends. Actually, Bambi too, she's MDI, but most of them don't wear pumps because it's like I'm walking all the time I'm always doing all this stuff and it's like like my friend Beth was like what if something bumps me and rips it off and I was like girl it's not gonna happen but like at the same time it seems like a very big New Yorker thing also to not have stuff on you yeah join us I feel like I'm part of a cult join us join us join us man 15 I guess yeah 16 years ago when I was like trying to get on a pump or my daughter my endo was trying to get me on one I was like very against having things attached to me I just didn't know at the time I th- I thought it was going to be more invasive I also just had weird in- misinformation I think I've shared this on the podcast before but I had a friend like one of the only people I knew with diabetes growing up had like a port surgically like implanted in them for their insulin pump and I thought that they were all like that. So I was like, well, I don't want that. And my touch was like, no, no, where did you hear that? And so I like do now, not want like your seeing, situation. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I was like, I do not want that. But, you know, now even with like, so I have a seven day wear infusion set now. So it's like, I only change my site once a week. And, you know, now I am a CGM. I'm much more comfortable with them. So I think it just depends on where you are. Everybody's different. That's interesting. Yeah. Your hypothesis about Big Apple, like New Yorkers being more. I have Apple a focused. thought. I have to like dial that in. I have, to I have a thought. I have many a friend in New Yorkers like, no, thanks. I don't want to pump. But OK, so MDI, G6, I think we were leading into questioning of like, is this stuff accessible to you as a person who is a comedian and essentially an entrepreneur who's self-employed? Yeah. A lot of my stuff is covered by my insurance. Which is great. My endo visits are out of pocket and they're very expensive. So there's that. But that is the situation that works best for me, at least right now. And so, yeah. So for me personally, it's all it's all pretty accessible. Though the big frustrations are when, for instance, you know, a company doesn't want, or my insurance doesn't want to cover like Dexcom anymore. Or, you know, because I'm also, I'll do, if I'm not on the Dexcom for one reason or another, uh, and I'm, you know, testing my blood sugar with strips, like freestyle or whatever it is. And then my insurance decides they don't want to cover a certain type of test strips anymore. And so they go ahead and they change it for me as if they're doctors. I mean, it's unnerving. It's crazy. It's insane that I, that, that can even happen. Uh, so that's like one of the biggest frustrations in my life, I think, is not being able to get a prescription that I have been getting for my whole life. And so I think about- that, that to me is one of the most frustrating things about the healthcare system. I mean, there's, we could pick, we could just 
blindfold ourselves and throw a dart at the wall and pick anything that are infuriating about it. But just like changing the formulary, like, because for some people, you know, even though like, so for example, like Novolog, Humalog are basically the same thing, but some people like Novolog just won't work for them just like because of the way their DNA is made up or, or whatever. And so when your insurance like makes you do that, then you got to go get a prior authorization and go through all this paperwork just to get, just to get the medicine you've been taking your entire life. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, your, your prior author or your, your doctor, they're not easy to reach. They have other, they have other, I almost said clients, patients, but clients is fucking the right word too, because that's what it starts to feel like. It's impossible. And then, you know, here's the thing. It's not like if you, if you order a pair of Nikes and they come on Thursday instead of Monday, that's fine. You'll figure out something else to wear. You probably have another pair of shoes. You'll be all right. But when it's your medication, that's not okay. It's, 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 it's insane. It's insane. It, that's, just, that's okay. it <laughs> just seems like ridiculous barriers. And like, when I think about your situation, like, okay, you have access to all this other stuff, but the thing that's most expensive is the endo visit. But every year, all of us, all three of us have to go to the endo at the beginning of the year to recertify that we have diabetes. Just to reprove. Sign on the girl, line that it hasn't been cured. Make it make sense. I will fight any of these people in the street. I just, but yeah, that's so frustrating. I can't believe it that you have to go through that. And we all do, but yeah, sorry that it's a barrier like that because that really, really sucks. You know what happened to me? And also I should have the freedom to be lazy sometimes. It's my autonomy, but it always happens that like right before I'm about to leave to go on tour or I'm about to be like in another city for some number of days, I like can't. I have to scramble to get all my prescriptions and stuff like that. It's like, it's the worst. It's the worst. Make I'll, friends with your pharmacy. Like, like, find a pharmacy where yeah. you can make friends with them because they'll help you. So that's me. Well, because I think too, like that's not, that has nothing to do with like diabetes care. And yet that's like so, so like immensely part of diabetes life. And like, it has nothing to, like, and no one else can help you. Like you have no, you have no representation. The thing pharmacist doesn't know who you are like the medical device company doesn't know who you are the endo is unreachable because they have 19 other patients that they've got to see right. and check their diabetes off it's, it's tough man i think it's you know that that to me is like one of the more frustrating things about diabetes it's not always just counting carbs and blood sugars it's just all the other their hurdles that you got to jump through just yeah. to be able to do your job Right. It's it, it's so many other things. And that's my new stuff. Like I was just telling you about when we were complaining out earlier, like I was telling you about how I had that low or whatever. But like when you're low and then you have to like refill your cartridge. It's just like diabetes just adds up. It's just like this big, 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 big pile. And it just lives in your life. And you just have to look at it and be like, I'm cool with you being here, even though you'd like to commit homicide. So right. it is what it is. Right. Well, Nick, I know I can't we're kind of coming to time. And I wish we I could stay on for the whole rest of the afternoon. But man, it's been so such a pleasure and like breath of fresh air in the middle of the day, just chat with you and hang out with you for a bit. Um, where should we send people to find you? You're you're very online, but uh, yeah, where do, where do we want to send people from today's pod? Yeah, well, first let me just say like this was a blast. This was a great conversation. I've never, I not never, but I it's rare that I get to talk about these things with people. So on or off the podcast, I'd love to do it again. I feel like barely reach the surface here at things we could have talked about but yeah so you can find me 
at Mr. Nick Callis on Instagram. No punctuation, just M-R-N-I-C-K-C-A-L-L-A-S. And you know, if you're diabetic, message me and say that you you heard me here and ask me about my diabetes and we'll talk about we'll talk about yours. And come to a show. I'm I'm touring a lot between now and the end of September. I'm shooting my first one hour special in Texas. So definitely some diabetics. Oh, Texas. where where in Texas? We're in Dallas. Not in Dallas, in Austin. That's classic, classic. Classic. No, yeah. Are you in are you in Dallas? Both of us are. Uh-huh. Yes. You're both in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Oh, no way. That's we are diabetes. I don't think Rob likes that phrase, but we are diabetes. <laughs> I would wear a diabetes shirt or bracelet. So it's going to be at the Creek in the Cave in Austin, and it's shooting. There's a seven o'clock show on September 29th and a nine o'clock show. And there's a seven o'clock and a nine o'clock show on the 30th. So, yeah, bring them out. That's interesting. I'm going to just put this out there and because it's going to be recorded people will hear it and then have to hold me accountable to it so i'm doing an event with jrf austin in august and i'm going to tell them about that and we're going to bring a group of people to one or both of those shows so that's, Yay, no, that, that's what i that's what i'm telling you from this that's amazing <laughs> i'll, I'll hold to it oh cool well awesome. i i agree nick I, we have we barely scratched the surface uh you are officially a friend of the pod would love to continue to you know stay in touch so this will not be the last time that we that we talk to you or and, and do some things with you so thank you for being a guest on the show and you know thanks for being open and vulnerable about your life with diabetes you know for other people with diabetes it's it's awesome and essential to what we do truly my pleasure and i'll i'll drop my number my cell in the chat so you guys have it thank you so much for those of you